Hey folks, and welcome to a very special episode of Hey Adora, your queer Shira podcast. I'm Force Captain Mef, they, them, and I'm here to give you a couple of bits of information before we go into our extended interview with last week's guest, Missy Katz. First off, we will be taking a month-long break, returning to you in April with all sorts of fresh content, new guests, and of course, all of the gay. You can follow us on our socials at HeyAdoraCast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more information on when we will be coming back. You can also email us at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com to annoy us and ask us when we will be coming back. I promise one of us will email you back, possibly with our favorite Shira memes. Let's get into our interview with Mishy Cats. Mishy is, according to their bio, a semi-professional do-gooder, amateur chef, and cat mom. They owe too many lipsticks and overthink everything. We invited Mishy to the show to discuss all things Entrapta, including Entrapta as a neurodivergent character, trauma, and, of course, the importance of prehensile hair. So, without further ado, our extended interview with Mishy Katz. So, Mishy, how did you come to uh, run across this gay-ass show that is the reboot of a less gay but still pretty gay show? Okay, so people will be upset with me, but I came across it because of you and you posted about it. I had no idea that it used to be a show because I resent everything that is the 80s. Besides, like, Bonnie Tyler. (laughs) Yo, we love Bonnie Tyler here. You know that. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't like the 80s. Especially the cartoons, really. So I just never watched them. I mean, I don't really have any strong feelings about that. I was alive in the 80s, but it certainly wasn't the best of history. I'm the first to admit. Yeah, I mean. You know, it wasn't a big part of our lives. We were just like existing in it. We weren't really contributing to the culture. We were consuming the culture, though. We were, we were little consumers in training. So what you're saying is that you can blame all of this on me. Yes, I can blame you for it. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's fair. We were talking about Steven Universe. And, like, I like it a lot, but, like, it's definitely, like, you can tell this is a child show. And it's on the level, kind of, like... Are you talking about Steven Universe? Yeah. Right now? Yes. Like, I didn't feel... Like, it's cute. It's nice. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like it, I don't know. There was something about it that was missing. And when I watched... You talked about it... Shira and I was like oh I want to see that and I was like that's it that's what it was I was looking for this yeah oh yeah that's so that's why I think I compare it because it is such a queer show and both of them are so queer Mm -hmm. to be honest but like one was just more something like Shira just kind of grabs you and shakes you and is like hey are you queer are you traumatized do you like fighting do you like hugs do you like sexual (laughs) tension yeah. <laughs> come on down. <laughs> come, on, come on down and watch yeah. gay gay cartoons with us. Yeah. That was really well put. That just sort of summarized it all in one one little bite. <laughs> We're going to use that bite over and over again. For sure. <laughs> Let's talk about Entrapta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about Entrapta, and then I want to talk about trauma, and I want to talk about, uh, Mish, you and I were having awesome conversations about Entrapta and trauma, too. Yes. So, um, so let's talk about Entrapta. Uh, so, Entrapta, you've, you've told me before, Entrapta is one of your favorite characters on the show. Yes. You want to you wanna speak to that? Yes. So, like, you know, we get introduced to her, and it kind of feels like, you know, the other princes are like, she's good at these things, I guess we should meet, meet up with her. And we get to her castle, and, you know, it's not as pretty i guess Mm -hmm. others others and Mm -hmm. there's this whole you know labyrinth to get through 
And the first time we're introduced to her, she has, like, three people in her work who are, like, humans and terrified. And, like, we get introduced to her like, as this dark palace with all these mazes. But yet she, we see her, and she's so bubbly. And she's, like, tiny food and fizzy drinks. <laughs> How exciting. And we see, like, she's a lot more bubbly than her space kind of mm-hmm. gives us a perception of, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no, of it course. totally makes sense. Yeah, and like you know, she starts explaining to them sort of her like robots and how excited she is. But I found it interesting rewatching it. You know, she describes what her robots do to her for her, and you know, she it seems like they're not just company for her. They actually, she goes on to say like they help me with basic hygiene and stuff. And I thought that was really interesting because she didn't seem to like resent that or anything. She was really excited that she had all these companions that help her with things. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know, that's how we get introduced to her. And I just thought that was really lovely. That it's both companionship and need and accessibility for her. Yes, absolutely. I really like that idea of the, the robots being part of her, like, you know, accessibility galaxy, right? Like, yeah, yeah I like that point as well. And, that you know, she is in the wonderful position of having the super brain power to create the world that serves her. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, she feels comfortable in the company of robots emotionally. But she could have just made them to be her buddies and hang out with her. But she also prefers the assistance of robots. You know, she's in a palace. She is a princess. She could have a whole castle staff looking to her needs, bring, you know, doing all the things for her. But she would prefer to have the robots do it. She feels more comfortable around them so she can create the world that she wants to live in. Mm hmm. Simple as that. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool. And, like, I just feel like we get into her, like, in the first episode or so, and I can really relate. I think at some points I actually even cried because I could really relate to her. Yeah. You know, aside from the robots attacking, I just always get this feeling that they find her, she's helpful, but outside of that, they kind of treat her off in a similar way that Scorpio is treated. Mm. And we know that they're not like elemental princesses either. Right. That's true. So I'm just going to say, because it's something that really bothered me, is at the end, we sort of have, you know, sh- they call on her to apologize. And I'm going way deep. But that kind of really did bother me. And it felt like a lot of times they want her to apologize for existing. Or her robots are a nuisance. Her hyper-focus, hyper-focusness is a nuisance. And why can't she just, you know, get with the programming? Right. She shows up to the ball not being dressed as, like, the others. And she just always seems like, unless they need her to be in the way. Hmm. Hmm. That's how I took it. I mean, maybe not everyone... But I also took it as this great, she's, you know, she's very technologically, like that's her her special interest, sorry, her special interest. But she has a femininity about her, and her hair is also a way for her to get around and do things. Yeah. And that's also accessibility. And as a, you know, queer, femme, and disabled person, like, it's really nice to see all that. And it's not put so obviously out there. You really have to pay attention to see it. I think the first time around, I missed her comment about the robots help her with basic hygiene and things. But the second time watching, I was like, wow, yeah. And everything, every time you rewatch it, you see something more. But I did recall seeing it the second time and noticing that feeling that I got. Like, she wasn't wanted exactly there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that's part of why she ended up in the fright zone. Mm. It wasn't just because of the misunderstanding, like, well, they thought she was dead, and if they hadn't thought that, they never would have left. But 
I definitely agree with you that there is always a sense that when she wasn't specifically doing something that was useful to them, just having her around was something that they were putting up with rather yes. than fully embracing. Absolutely. Like the word would be putting up with. Yeah. And like, I have to think, you know, she gets left at the, you know, the fright zone, but they see all the technology that's coming out there when they worry and uh, when they fought harder for her to come out like, and make sure she's actually left, like just seems a little bit like she was a set, like an afterthought. And I know like we yeah. talked about in Perfumers, you know, is sad about it. Bo is sad about it. But they almost kind of just carry on. And, you know, I feel like we watch the show and we get a lot of feelings from it. I'm sure a lot of people start off really disliking Catra, even maybe still dislike her regardless of anything and think she's unredeemable rather than think much more deeper about it and i feel like the same thing kind of applies to entrapta so they see her joining the horde and they think she's automatically bad and that she's evil and that she betrayed them and you know i don't think that's true i think that you know she she was stuck there and she's like oh i could fix this technology so she just fixes it she doesn't really care what's going on around her because she's focused on the thing that she needs to do Right. Or that she, you know, feels comfortable. I think it's so much duality in it. As I said, I've had a really, really, really rough time. And I've been um, in a program and I've been exploring a lot of my trauma. And rewatching it, just kind of, I felt for her so much. Like, it made me cry because, and maybe I'm, you know, putting my perception onto it. But I feel like. Well, everybody does. You're here because we want your point of view. Absolutely. I know for my special interests and my trauma. Which often, you know, we can't just separate pieces of our brain. It doesn't work that way. We can't organize them perfectly. Like, I have It would be reason. awesome if we could. Oh my god, yes. I was just in a program and, like, the clinician was just like, you cannot organize. I'm like, but why? <laughs> Virgo power. <laughs> yeah. And I felt that for her because, you know, she does have this special interest. But it's also a coping mechanism. We see a picture, a portrait of her with two dad, robot dads. We don't really get a story of what's, you know, how did she come to be? Um, and she's surrounded by all these robots, and I'm sure they're very helpful to her. And they're very, you know, they're supportive and stuff. But what about human connection? I mean, before Glimmer just showed up on the planet to get her help, where was everyone before that? And, right. you know, like, where is everyone? Everyone else seems to have, you know, support systems. The staff is frightened by her or the robots. Right. Mm -hmm. She's The only connection she has are the robots. Right. And they're also her staff, you know? Yeah. Like, they work for her. Like Exactly. They work for her. So, like, who who does she have outside of that? And the biggest connection we see is, oh, God, I'm, I'm going to not cry. But, you know, it seems like she's just trying to give everyone this love that she either doesn't get back herself or doesn't understand how to give back. Doesn't understand that social interaction very well. Right. So she doesn't know. And she creates a whole, like, we see it when she creates a whole, like, labyrinth. Why is the labyrinth there? What is she, you know, she's alone. Right. So I guess I question that. And also, like, Hordak is kind of, like, all the characters, I want to say, have their own trauma and experiences. And this show is so, so good at exploring that. Exploring mm -hmm. how everyone's yeah. feeling. And how they're, you know, even the worst of their traits, perhaps, like, it's behind their trauma, the way we show our trauma. We don't say, I have trauma. We right. Usually we get defensive. We get a certain way. But mm -hmm. does that truly show who we are? Is that truly what we are? Like, say, just an example, Katra. Katra isn't this horrible person. She's experiencing trauma. 
and reacting the best way she knows how. Right. Those are her those are her survival mechanisms. Right. Yeah. Something I noticed is the things we used to survive, like maybe through childhood and other traumatic events, could have saved us then, but it's not mm-hmm. helping us now. Right. Yep. Exactly. That's a lesson that I learn like every day. <laughs> oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah, get in line. <laughs> and I think that happens with Entrapped a bit when she gets, you know, she's gets on the fright zone or, you know, she starts going she you know, all these things are happening because she's been up in her drill in her big castle. She hasn't had to interact that much with people. So she's doing the best way. Which is, you know, fixing things. And then she meets Hordak, and it's another, like, I'm going to say super cliche, but lost soul who's misunderstood. hmm Yeah. And she doesn't, like, what we see maybe as negatives, like I've seen people call her aloof and naive and all these things. Maybe she just understands that people are complicated a bit, even though she can't say that. And she's showing the kindness to others that she has not gotten, was my perception of that. So she's kinder to, you know... Hordak. She's like, you can do it. I believe in you. He takes interest in what she's doing, even though it's, you know, not specific. Like, she, he's like, fine. Ugh, I guess I won't kill you. And well, what are you doing with my things? Oh, God, you actually, okay, maybe you're helping. <laughs> yeah. On the one hand, it's like, yeah, you can do it. I believe in you. Let's destroy this planet already. Like, okay, well, maybe that's not so great. But it is certainly true that she sees Hordak in a way that no one else does. Mm -hmm. She sees his vulnerability in a way that is not predatory. She's not like, oh, I see his vulnerability, and now I will go in for the kill. She sees his humanity. Exactly. And I will say, I don't think she went off to destroy the planet. I don't think she registers that. I agree with you. She's hyper-focused on, like, she's like, wow, we found First One's tech. I must explore this. This is great. She's not thinking about everything else going on she's thinking about this thing and i can i've experienced when people are like oh wow you did not pay attention to anything around you you were so focused on the thing right i know i've seen when it hurts people around me even unintentionally and i think that's a big takeaway is she's not doing it intentionally she's not hurting people intentionally she's not you know she didn't go out and set off and be like i'm gonna destroy this planet you know with first world tech she's like no hyper-focused on her thing and can't... No, absolutely. And I'm going to say something, Darren. I don't think Kordak is either. He's just trying to prove a point to his family or, you know, trying to win over and... Yeah, it's true. He doesn't want to destroy Etheria. He wants to conquer it. So when Big Brother comes back, he can say, look, Big Brother, look what I did when you were gone. I got this shit all under my thumb. Aren't you proud of me now? Yo, Hordak has some daddy issues, right? Oh, yeah. Of course. That is some daddy issue shit. That is his humanity. Yeah. (laughs) His humanity is his daddy issues. Yeah, but Mishy, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that um, Entrapta has never intentionally been hurtful to anyone. She never wants to hurt anybody. She is a completely loving person, but she isn't looking at anything outside of just following the science. That is her special interest, and she has blinders on. She's just following the science wherever it leads her, and that's it. Right. And I think, like, Bo, for example, really understands that, and he's a lot kinder to her about it. I think he, you know, whereas some other characters, you know, like Glimmer, are so focused on saving the world, and they see her as an enemy. I think Glimmers often sees things as black and white. So for her, she also has, you know, she has very strong feelings about relationships and connections. 
And they don't particularly understand that she's not connecting the way they want to connect. But at the same yes. time, she's, you know, she doesn't know how to connect. And I've definitely felt feelings about that myself. I'm like, hey, like, yes, socializing is difficult. It's not impossible. I just need someone to say, hey, it's okay. And, you know, maybe, like, realize I'm a little awkward and that's okay. Is it really the end of the world? And so often enough, if you're like, hey, this is how it hurt me. Then I'm like, oh my god, I am sorry. I did not realize it. But, like, scrutinizing me like a child almost isn't going to make it better. It just kind of makes me want to climb into myself. And, like, I realize at times how awkward I am. I do. I don't know. I, I, I think we cope, and I've coped many ways. I'm working on, am I funny or am I using this to cope? Am I, and where is the line? Because maybe the line is blurred a little bit. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I, I understand that one as well. And I, I just want to interject for a second about how we see that in Entrapta too. Like she literally puts down her welding mask when she kind of gets overwhelmed with emotional and interpersonal um, stuff that she's just like, no, I, I don't know how to handle this. I'm go- going into myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like as an example, like I feel like that was a bit of an Easter egg to me. Because there is the term of masking, especially in autistic communities. It's presenting, you know, normal. And that, like, what's more masking than putting, like, a welding mask on? Right. Totally. I think she gets really flustered when she can't fix things. Mm -hmm. Because she's a fixer. And she's a science person. And when those things don't compute, you get frightened. For me, when things don't compute the way I think, like, it's it's really scary. It's it's anxiety-provoking. It's... Like, all my things go off. Like, it's like a, a fire alarm. Like, someone is pressing, yelling fire, you know, in a theater. Because what did I do? What did I do wrong? How do I fix it? Oh, God, oh, God, everything is so overwhelming. And literally, everything is on fire. All my senses are on fire. Like, I try to describe to people, like, when you're asking me to do something, I can smell very well. So it's like, I can smell everything. I can smell that my partner's eating a chip in the other room. I can hear the buzzing of the electricity and my own things in my own head, everyone else in the room, and I'm supposed to be doing something and listening to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm trying. And when people get upset, I'm like, ah, and sometimes that comes out. And sometimes, you know, you're so used to the criticism, you start wanting to please people. Right. And I think yeah. it really falls into the people pleasing. She knows that, like, the tech is her thing so she tries to please and get everyone to like her by fixing things mm-hmm. yeah i mean she's explicitly said that she's like well i'm useful you know yeah exactly she is useful that's like the only way she kind of sees herself until like to be honest like yes Bo is really nice to her but i think until hordak nobody has treated her like another human like everyone has seen her as broken and he's broken and together they're like maybe we're okay that's true. You know, we can fix each other that's broken. And she literally fixes him. Yeah. She quite literally fixes him. And she doesn't fix him in the traditional sense. Like, she doesn't fix him to be like the other Hordads. You know, she fixes him the way he is. And if we remember, she also fixes him again when he's not, you know, normal Hordad. Like, the wrong normal Hordad, whatever you That's right. That's right. And one of my favorite lines of hers, and I'm sure... Some other people would agree is when uh, I don't remember what episode this is from now. This is in season five, I'm pretty sure, 
when uh, she's looking for the real Hordak amongst all the other primelings that are down on Etheria when the, you know, the big prime ship is is hovering yeah. over them and, you know, all hell has broken loose and she's looking for the real Hordak again. And Swiftwind ends up having to drag her away and possible Hordak is gazing confused out at her and she flings up her arms and yells joyously, Remember, your imperfections are what make you beautiful. I think I cried and I still feel like crying when she yeah. says that. Because I think that's her being her real self. I think mm-hmm. she knows that. But it's so hard to hear that when we're surrounded by all this. And I think it's really just to go back on the show. We see all these princesses, but they're flawed. Mm-hmm. Whatever way, they're a little bit flawed, you know? Right, because we're all human. Nobody's right. perfect. But I don't think we realize, like, the princesses shouldn't be flawed, but they are. And I guess, I don't know, I think we see that. And I just can't help but look at her and be like... You are so happy and joyous. And, like, even the times when she shouldn't, like, that moment. She's like, remember, you're, you know, you're imperfect. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And that made me feel better. It felt like real representation to see it's okay. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to have trauma and be working through it. Even if it doesn't make you a perfect person at the moment. Even if it makes you a flawed person. Fuck yeah. The show makes, you know, I think you really sit with it it shows that everyone is redeemable no matter what it shows kindness and compassion even when you can't seem to find any and this is a lesson i've been having to absorb this year a lot you know glimmer learns so much at first i couldn't stand glimmer but as the show goes on you know she experiences more and she grows and everyone grows as the show goes on even i think we meet and we see you know catcher getting worse and worse and worse and we at some point feel like she's just irredeemable, like completely unredeemable. Mm-hmm. But she does. She does because eventually she, you know, her and Adora make up. And I don't think just in the really fun making up. I think <laughs> they're both able to, you know, see each other's trauma. Yes. 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 If it, is it okay if I get personal a little bit? Oh, oh please. As long as you're comfortable. Absolutely. Sure. So, like, I grew up in a pretty abusive environment when I was much younger. And it was me and my brother. Um, I got a lot more, let's say, because of my circumstances than my brother did. But he still got plenty. But we grew up in the same households. So you would think our experiences were the same, but they weren't. Because each of us are going to experience it from our perspective. And I really related when it, when you know, when we talk about Catra and Adora about this. Because they grew up in the same environment. Both The environment was still really toxic and abusive. But they still each had a different experience of that, depending on their, let's say, privilege. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, we have to not forget that Adora is still, like, a very stereotypical-looking person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, she's still blonde, she's still thin, and she's not, you know, half cat or whatever. So she gets that privilege, and you see in the show how that's, you know, the cards are divided a little bit by each person. And back to, like, Entrapta, no, she she clearly uses her hair as a mobility aid a little bit, mm-hmm. actually quite often. Very much, yeah. That, you know, and that was really cool to be basically, you know, a lot of wheelchair users, myself included, will describe our wheelchair as an extension of us. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not separate. It's part. And her hair is a part of her, literally. And that's great. But I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, the, the character's trauma isn't 
it's the way they interact with the world. And Glimmer has her own. So the way she interacts with Entrapped is going to be different. I think that Glimmer, because she was my enemy number one after she was kind of mean to Entrapped, Entrapped at first, or didn't quite understand her, was, you know, you're just a privileged princess still. Like, you know, your mom is queen, and like, how? what do you know? What do you know about, like, living alone in the castle and being only surrounded by robots and not having a real friend? You've had Bo. Like, what do you know? I know I've been there before as a person. Mm-hmm. And it can be really hard to get out of that. But she does grow. Although I'll say the end was not pleasing to me personally about that. But, I don't know. I hope I'm describing it right. Like, I just... I really love Entrapta. I love how accessible she was made without making a big to-do about how accessible she is. It's just so intertwined into her personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her autism is so intertwined that you can't suss it out. We don't even... Do we even know that she is? Do we know that she's disabled? We don't. We can just, you know, assume from how way she acts. But there is so much more to her, just like the other characters. And we see that she has trauma as well and how she's working through it and how she makes connections through it. Especially with Hordak, which we don't expect exactly. Because who are these right. people to connect? Right. right. Her character is not autism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, we're not one person. Yeah. So I thought that was really, like, you know, it's, it's really cool to see. And also, I think because it's all ages, it was very nice to see that without this lens of explaining it to children. Mm-hmm. Exactly, like, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So I thought that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you didn't know, if you didn't have experiences of Entrapped as Trauma, you probably don't know, no. Does, you know what I mean? You're going to read mm-hmm. it differently, maybe. Like, The Castle. Like, have you ever felt like you're alone and have to build walls around you? If you didn't, mm-hmm. you don't understand why she has all these, you know, why she created a whole labyrinth. If you've never had friends and only had, like, say, I don't know, books, then maybe you don't know why someone surrounds themselves with books only or keeps their nose in a book because you've not maybe had to experience that. So it gives us perspective on different existences and how they work and I just really love this show. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't. Lo- Please don't be sorry. I love Entrapta. I love how the show tackles some big, big issues. And in the way it does, it's so seamless. It's not telling you it's dealing with this exactly. It's just kind of dealing with it and showing you, you know, how everyone deals. And as I said, what I really took away from it now is it's amazing how it deals with trauma and abandonment and all these really complicated things and how it plays out with us and the people around us um, and how, you know, we can work through it and how it shows so much compassion and kindness even to the characters we didn't think we'd be compassionate towards. Yeah. Like, Kordak is easy, like, as we talked about, it's easy to say, well, he just wanted to take over this planet and, you know, keep everyone under the thumb and here's imperialism and colonialism at work, Mm -hmm. which, you know, are important things to talk about, important things to see how they work but there was so much more behind Hordak than just that there's so much more behind you know Entrapta than just her ability to fix things or her aloofness and we also see that sometimes it yeah it's in the way of her but sometimes it's actually really resourceful and she survives and she's the reason they survive a lot of the time right like she's the reason you guys yeah. survive and you yeah make it. absolutely even without knowing, because sometimes they're like, I mean, I personally was like, how 
Like, they're building all this tech. How do you not know that someone's behind that tech? Were they really good at this tech before you, this happened? Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, didn't any of you think about maybe checking? I mean, eventually right. they do. But, like, right. as an adult, you look and you're like, huh, that's a little, okay. Yeah. That's true. And more to your point about how seamlessly they represent these things rather than just like explaining it to a child. I think it's certainly, we could probably all agree that it's always been true, both for children and all human people, that you learn better from having things play out rather than having it explained to you. The show don't tell is the golden yep. rule. Yep. Well, it's the golden rule after be nice to other people, you asshole. <laughs> well, I think it's the go- it's the golden rule of of uh, storytelling. Story yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, when you see things play out, it makes sense. And when you are someone who has experienced that point of view, you feel seen. And when you're someone who has not experienced that point of view, then you start to learn. In the same way that's, you know, why we're all here is because, number one, we feel seen as queer people viewing the show. Mm -hmm. And it's also equally as important for straight people to see this stuff because it is normalizing for them. It helps them understand the experience of their queer fellows around them in their schools and in their lives. And it makes them feel less alienated from those people because they understand, oh, look, these are just people like me. They're just having th- these experiences from different points of view. And it's the same with every character in here. You know, Entrapta doesn't bear ill will towards anyone. And they're frustrated with her, you know, for a long time because they don't understand. They are tolerating her because they feel like she is a nuisance. She's getting in the way. Even Perfuma in the early episodes, you know, they show Perfuma and Entrapta being teamed up at one point, And Perfuma is visibly twitchy. You know, she's like, I can't keep Entrapta on task. This this is challenging t- to my harmonious nature, you know, things of that sort, because they just don't get what's going on for her. Mm-hmm. But later on, you know, when she's, again, like fighting against someone because she needs to do what she needs to do to save all of their lives and they don't get it and they don't get it. And then finally they get it like, oh, you're fighting me right now because if I don't let you do the thing, we're all going to die. That's right. what you're trying to do right now. And I just didn't see it. So the more those kinds of stories unfold, the more we see each other's, the more we see each other's journeys. And then we relate to each other in our different circumstances just more and more and more. Exactly. Totally. One of my favorite Entrapta moments is uh, when they find an Entrapta on Beast Island. And the whole Beast Islands thing is really fascinating because, you know, at first when they find her, she's totally she's fucking stoked. She's found a treasure trove of information, right? Like she, yes. she's, she's just like surrounded by the thing that she loves the most, but it's the doldrums, right? It's the doldrums from Phantom Tollbooth or oh, it's- Oh my God. I can't believe you know that book. Of course you do. Of course. It's one of my favorite books. It's, I have all sorts of theories about that book we can talk about <laughs> later. Yes. Um, like that book is about mental illness. Yes. But other people are susceptible to the the very real. I mean, it's a it's a depression metaphor. Like you know, when everybody kind of gets tangled up in the vines. Yes, yes, or stuck in the mud. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But in, in you know, in Beast Island in particular, everybody gets you know eventually gets wrapped up in the vines, and she finds a way through study, through knowledge, through you know being able to engage in her her focus to kind of avoid that until other people you know, until other people come to her. Mm. Um, And she then starts to get wrapped up in it um, because they are coming to her with, you know, 
we found you, we need you. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, when they start showing, you know, when she starts to actually kind of get wrapped up and pulled into the inky black vines, um, you know, the things that she says are, you know, it's all about her usefulness, right? Yes. They were able to pull her out of it, not by being like, we're your friends, we love you. And it was kind of a, a throwaway joke. But, you know, they're like, hey, Atrapta, do you want to see a spaceship? And she was like, fuck, yeah, I do. That's not a throwaway joke. No, but like the, but then, you know, she kind of wraps around and is like, yes, the friend stuff was nice. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. But that's how they're able to engage with her. Yes. You know, they figure out how to engage with her. Yes. They finally figure out how to meet her where she is rather than constantly asking her to meet them where they are, which is what happens the other 99.99% of the time. Exactly. That's exactly, you've. You're better at the word thing than I am. Um, but that's actually what I've been trying to get to. Like, I feel like in the show, she's she's the one who has to constantly make the effort. She's mm-hmm. the one who has to constantly do it. And, you know, you can see, in, like, exactly, the Beast Island is a great representation of she only is useful. Like, what mm-hmm. else is she? And also, I want to note that, like, so when we see her in, in Beast Island, she's also a mess. Mm. You know, her, her hair is, you know. Right. And it's not just that she's on Beast Island, but she has no one. You can see it because she doesn't have her, um, you know, any robots to take care of her. Right. And that was important to her. That was her mobile who helped her, you know, take care of it. And, like, it's, it's special interests are really important. And getting high mm-hmm. is nice. But sometimes it can happen so much, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not doing basic care. It's really mm-hmm. important to have that outside perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little bit. And uh, you kind of see it there a little bit where she's like, yes, she's doing the thing that she loves, but holy crap, she's letting everything else fall. And yeah, that moment, like, I don't know, that moment really got to me because I could literally feel myself like I'm wet. When you step out of masking, you step out of what use am I otherwise when I'm good at this? What Mm -hmm. are you after that? Mm. And having to sit there and ask yourself the question as a, you know, not a cartoon, I can sit there and ask myself. Right. That question, but with her. And yeah, I really love that part when she's like, hey, do you want to go see a spaceship? And I know that when I'm sad, my friends try to be like, okay, what is she going to love? What is she going to love? Oh, God, send her a, like, send her a Shrek me. And then I'm <laughs> <Yep>. like, <laughs> thank you. That's what I needed from my soul. And I, I think that was really important. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I do know my friends are doing, like, or DJ would be like, hey, I see you're not doing well. Would you like to do a special interest? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. Let's go do that. Like, take me by hand and put me on the couch and, you know, have me knit. That'll be awesome. Like, or have me watch Golden Girls until I feel better a little bit. And that's the moment we see that. I guess that's why a little bit the the last part makes me feel mad or sad because, you know, they tell her they're her friends and they're trying to save her. But at the same time, at the end, they're like, tisk tisk, you didn't care about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not making any effort. Yeah, and it's, again, that feeling of they're the ones not making the effort. Dare I say, I'm going to, you know, and that's just speaking of being on task, like you mentioned with Perfuma, I have been there. And I even think that when it happened and DJ and I were watching it, I literally cringed. And I'm like, oopsie. Like, I am too not on task. And I'm trying so hard. And I know I'm going to take people around me. But yeah, and like, it's, it's interesting to see that play out when you're like, oh, God, I can tell that these things are like... So relatable, too relatable, too relatable. But yeah. yeah. What you said, it was it hit the nail on the head for everything. And yeah. Oh, thank you. And I, I think I did hear about like the people who played 
were, you know, queer and various, like, the roles that were taken on were taken on by people who themselves, or at least the writers. Yeah, so the writers, a lot of the writers were queer. I mean, Noelle Stevenson is... um, Yeah, a lot of the writers were queer. Yeah, and the showrunner's a non-binary person, and um, they specifically did write and trapped a, um, as a, a person on the autism spectrum with like th- with people that you know they knew and they're like hey how can we yeah, we don't want to we want to do this fucking this character justice like let's work on it together so also i just like to say that was a very obvious point but i missed it in all this she's a fam yes, yes. i don't know but it's really hard to see fam representation in autism and we're just seeing that like it's so new be seeing that and I felt so seen so that was really awesome to see that seeing a femme with long hair and you know and that she likes tiny food and cute things yeah I can't tell you guys how much I fucking love tiny things I have a (laughs) weird obsession with anything that is smaller than me which is like or bigger than me which is the rest of the world but like (laughs) I have to I love miniatures I will Literally, like, DJ has to keep me away from anything. So I'm like, can you just cut my sandwiches up? And he's like, I'm not. No, like, I'm not <laughs> making your normal sandwich tiny. But I love miniatures. I'm hearing her say that. And then she had, like, a cat portrait on the wall. And she's like, yes. oh, it's so cute. And I'm like, yep. I love you. Because <laughs> I think she also really bonded, like, as I said, not only is she femme, she bonds, like, what is normally seen as a, a male sort of being into technology and things mm-hmm. is very right. often associated with, let's just say, cis men. I don't know what the proper term is, but men or a masculine thing. And she combines mm-hmm. it. And the way she's combined as being this such a full character. That's true. It's really awesome to see. And I just, I don't know, I have the same feeling that she does when I see tiny things and seeing nobility just involved. And I'm just like, it's really great to just simply look at a character and be like, I feel you. I've been there. I feel so seen. And not mm-hmm. just in that millennial like meme is I feel seen. Like I definitely felt seen. I wish that I had seen that when I was a child. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. have felt because even if I didn't have the words to put to what I am, it would have given me space to be like, I hear you. I am yeah. like that. Maybe it's not so bad to be like that. Yeah, other people are like me too. It's right. not yeah. just me. Not no, knowing it's not just you is such a big weight off of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Speak the truth, girl. Yeah. That's why we called our gayest moment segments. We all know that we all know we know. Yeah. Because it is such a huge difference to your heart and soul. When you know that you are not alone in something and that you're mm-hmm. part of a huge community that feels the same way you feel. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I really, I love this show. Hey, can I ask you a question in light of some of the things we've discussed so far? Yes. We have discussed Entrapta and all of her awesomeness and all of her layers. We have discussed the other characters in relation to her. So I agree that there is some realism built into the way people respond to her on the show and that they don't understand and that they react to her with impatience because they don't think, you know, they think she's choosing basically to be the way she is and they don't have any patience for her. They're not making an effort to to meet her where she is. That may be realistic, but that's not what we want to role model to children. So 
are there ways that they could have done anything better, maybe? I'm not saying that it's bad or it's good, because this is a wonderful representation of a character on the autism spectrum, and the reactions of others can be said to be realistic. Is there a way they could have done better to show kids watching how neurotypical people should be better friends and better allies to people on in the world of neurodiversity? Yeah. Like, as I mentioned many times, I'm really frustrated by the end. They're like, well, you really hurt us when you joined the herd, and you should apologize. And even when mm. she explains herself, it feels like she has to apologize. Rather mm-hmm. than yeah. them sort of coming to her and being like, not just for leaving her, but being like, I wish they'd seen how important Hordak was to her. Mm-hmm. And just kind of coming halfway, I guess. Giving her a little bit of compassion, I guess. And being like, hey, we're really sorry that we just treat you for this, and we should be more understanding a little bit or, you know, really seek to understand you better, not just for your usefulness, not mm-hmm. just your good parts. Yeah. Like, I wish there had been more conversations, like, when Perfume is upset, like, hey, you could have done better, this is how, maybe. Mm. Yeah. And, like, so, I will say this. I know we, many of us, not all of us, are known for being very blunt, and I will admit that I am at times very very blunt and i never mean harm by this mm-hmm. it's not like the whole oh i'm not sugarcoating it whatever like here's how i interpret it and i feel like things would sometimes go so smoothly if the person just said what they wanted just just say mm-hmm. yeah even if you're frustrated with me just say you're frustrated and here's how you could do better and I don't think that's a neurodiverse thing as much as we're just taught these weird social norms. Like, you're not supposed to tell people this. You're supposed to, like, kindly lead them to the conversation. I'm just like, by the time, if you... Yeah. How are you supposed to lead me when I'm like, first of all, if you already got me stuck on, oh, God, I've done something wrong. Ah, uh-huh. I'm already mm-hmm. out there. Like, I'm already... I'm somewhere else already having an anxiety attack. I'm not going to listen to you. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because, like, I'm already out there. And in general, like, I have to ask, like, why? Like, to neurotypical, why is it so hard for you to just say the thing? And if you really mm-hmm. thought about it, it's because you've been taught to do it in a certain way. And maybe your mm-hmm. way isn't actually as good as you think it is. I often like to say my personal motto is, I am not nice. I am kind. Because there's a difference between those. It's subtle, but it's there. Yep. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Absolutely. I agree, too. I so, think nice covers a lot of ugliness. Yes. yes, agreed. And it felt like sort of that sometimes happens in the show, where they're being, they think they're being nice, but they're actually not like... You can still feel the resentment or you can still see mm-hmm. the frustration. And it's not like I don't notice it completely. I mean, I'm sure some people have that issue. I notice it sometimes and I'm like, did I do that? And then they want to be nice. So they say no or, you know, it's mm-hmm. okay or it's whatever. And then you just build resentment. And then I'm just mm-hmm. worried. And then I build resentment. And it's a whole mess rather than say, hey, you could have done better at this. And just take away the shame and the guilt feeling and say, like, I feel like this could have been done better. Yep. And have a conversation rather than accusatory yep. or blame. Yeah, even just to make I statements, and this yeah. is something that the whole world could benefit from, you know, I was hurt by what just happened. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then let the other person learn, like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, I'm sorry that that made you feel that way. That wasn't what I intended. I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, here's a perfect example. Um, 
when I was in high school, I dated a girl who was Catholic. Um, her family was German Catholic. They were very dour. They were very buttoned up and proper. And they didn't talk about anything at her house. Like, you know, you had to have like some sort of sixth sense to know if anyone in her family was mad at you. But then she would come over to my house and, you know, she spent most of her time at my house because it was just so much easier. And one time, I don't even remember what it was about. She said, Jenny, is your mom mad at me? I think your mom's mad at me. And I said, why? And she told me some whole complicated thing about a thing that happened and then she wasn't sure this and that. And I said, look, if my mom was mad at you, you would know because she would say to you, I'm mad at you. The end. That's all you have to know. If my mom is mad at you, she's going to tell you. Yeah. So the point is, you know, if we all lived in a world where people just said, I am upset when they were upset, things could go a whole lot smoother. Mm-hmm. I think you have the right idea. <laughs> and like, I- I'm sorry, my brain is like, I don't remember this in the show. But for example, for me, it's like, I think something is funny and I don't always, always have the best perception of when it's okay to say it. Like, just as an example. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited about this. I once went to a party with my roommate at the time, you know, and I dressed up, and I think because I look very neurotypical and sign as, you know, femme-looking, and I'm really good at the makeup, I will admit, like, and if anyone who's autistic out there listening, specifically, I'll admit, I have masked very well, and I'm working on my own unmasking when, and, like, what how I feel about that, but I've also, my special, special interest at some point became makeup and fashion. And I have absolutely benefited from that in a social perception, because if you did not know, you would not know. And that is a privilege that I've had, because it's definitely not what someone else would have. And I openly like acknowledge that. It is a huge way that I get to blend in and don't get, you know, stick out. But then I, I always have that anxiety in the back of my head is I say something and I definitely stick out. And for me, coping has been, you know, own that. But sometimes you can't. So I walked into a room with my roommate and we were at a party. And it's like a very stereotypical Boston polyamorous type of queer, like whatever, party. <laughs> and I I think it's hilarious. So I like blurt out without, like, I didn't know my, I don't know the sound of my own voice. And I'm like, ah, I've slept with like half the people here. <laughs> and I'm, and then I pointed to them like gun, <laughs> and I was like, "Do you know by that logic, I've slept with all of you? Yay!" <laughs> and a lot of people, a lot of people did not. A and like one great partner I had took me aside and, and like was like, "I love you, and you are great, but not everyone would like that to be acknowledged." And seen as like an announcement sort of thing because of how yeah. loud I am, and be like, maybe don't. Just <laughs> as don't. a fellow loud Jew who has also been to polyamorous New York sex parties, I am with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like my so um, just as a perspective of like, oh God, you're so autistic. How do you function? I tend to think out loud. It's just the way I am, and so nothing quite stays in there. For better or for worse. I thought that, like, during, like, sexy times, we're supposed to make conversation, right? Like, we're supposed to (laughs) communicate and do things. So I just say whatever the fuck happens in here. So you can imagine sleeping with me is is like some deranged improv. (laughs) That sounds fun. (laughs) 
Yeah, but then I'm like, so I'm sitting there, you know, trying, and I'm like, mm. it's not that I'm not enjoying myself. I'm like, so do you ever think about, like, for example, like, when we watched the show, I was like, do you ever think about Entrapta and, like, this thing? Like, and, and my friend's like, what? Um, I guess, okay. And then I'm like, and then my brain's like, hmm, we haven't heard that song in, like, 10 years. Let's think about the song. So then I'm humming the song, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that right now. Hmm. Let me think about it. Let me think. How can I make this better? So I'm like, ooh, blowjob with humming it. So then I'll figure it out. <laughs> and then I finally, so one partner was like, hey, I could stay in the moment better if you didn't talk. <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, you talk a lot. And I was like, oh, yeah. But what do you mean? Like, he's like, well, it's just so like Shrek isn't like what I want to talk about right now or the Swedish chef. And I'm like, but it's sexy. <laughs> but you said talk sexy things. And I'm like, he's like, um. Just so we're very clear, I will absolutely have conversations about the Muppets while getting down. Right. And I think that's normal. I think yeah. that's normal. But he didn't. And I went home and I asked, the greatness about having more than one partner is, oh, you can ask numerous people, is this the perception? And I asked my partner, who's a bit more gentle and knows me better. He's like, oh, yeah, you do that. You definitely do that. And I'm like, <laughs> I do? And he's like, did you not know you did this? I was like, no, because you said sexy conversation. What's sexier than donkey and talking about Shrek? Like, <laughs> the world may never know. But I had no idea that I didn't know. I didn't know that you're not supposed to have conversations. Like, I can come and have a conversation. I am very able like that, I guess. But other people cannot. Well, and I mean, who's to who's to say that you are not supposed to? That one one should never do this. It's not like uh, you know you shouldn't stab somebody in the face while you're having sex. That's certainly a universal. Sure. But you know, I'm sure there's other people who also enjoy conversation about Shrek. You know, during sexy time. Yeah. I have yet to find those people, even though they claim that they're kinky. <laughs> I bet they're out there. Maybe now, after listening to this episode, they are going to start banging down your door with yeah, uh, so. bouquets of Shrek flowers. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just hand me onions, okay? Just bring me onions. I'll cook us a good meal. It'll be great. I'm very good at that. A momish Kavaldic meal, right? Yes. I'm very good at making cold borscht. And... I'm generally very good at cooking, and I love showing people I love them by cooking. I once, like, was like, hey, you're cute, and that person was cute. And I was like, let's hook up, and they're like, sure. So I brought them a four-gallon jar of matzo ball soup. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, that's love. That okay, is love. Speaking of these things, it's like, they're like, uh, I, and he sat me down. He's like, let's have a conversation about our, like, status, like, where we're at. And they're like, you know, I'm just here for, like, a hookup. And I was like, yeah, so, so am I. <laughs> and he's like, but you brought soup. And you, and I'm like, so? But these people have all these expectations. I'm like, right. it's just soup. It's just right. soup. I brought you soup because you said you weren't feeling so great. So I was like, huh, this person I like is not feeling well. Two plus two equals soup. Like, if I really... <laughs> it does make sense. So do we have any parting thoughts on Entrapta that we want to end with? Mishy, it's been so awesome talking to you. Yeah, it's been awesome. I hope this is useful, what I said, anything It's incredibly it. useful. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I think it's 
I don't know, like, I would love to end with that moment where she says to Hordak as she's flying out, you know, you are imperfect as you are, and that's, you know, I think that's such a encompassing thing of hers. I think it's yeah. so just her. She's positive and bubbly, even at the worst moments, which yeah. she shouldn't really probably not be, but she is. Because I think because, like, if we experience a lot of awfulness in our lives sometimes, or, you know, hurt, we want to treat people better. And I think mm-hmm. that's a trap to she wants to treat people better than she's been treated. And that mm-hmm. means, you know, being bubbly. And even when you don't feel perfect, you got this. You, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be yeah. nice. It's okay to not, like, you know, have every all your ducks in a row or all your robots in a row, so to so to speak. Oh, yeah. All your robots in a row. Yeah. Oh, that's the best. Oh, I relate to that so much. Aww. Oh, that's so true. And, you know, it's more than okay. It's what makes you beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's exactly. what makes you real. It makes us be- real. It makes us beautiful. And it makes us human. At the end of the day, like, I have personally been questioning a lot what makes me human right now. Because mm-hmm. the ground is falling beneath me. And... I've led to a lot of, like, what makes me human. Because I don't mm-hmm. always feel like that. Whether I've been treated that way or not, I think, especially with disabilities, especially, like, autism, I think people see at us, not at, like, they're seeing us as this foreign thing to figure out, rather than just as we are, just like humans. Mm-hmm. We're just feeling it more than you. It's not that we don't have even empathy. We're just feeling it so intensely that it literally physically hurts. And mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen people talk about it. Like, I've seen in the thread recently, people talking about autistic people. And it just hurts because I'm like, don't you know I'm here? Don't you know I can hear you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she, you know, she definitely has some of that happen to her. I don't know. She's still so positive and not just like a fake positive. I think she honestly just tries to be better than the world has been to her. Whether it be by tiny mm-hmm. foods and fizzy drinks or by telling people they matter, even when the rest of the world is telling them they don't, even when the rest of the world tells them they're bad and they're evil and they're broken. Also, if we notice, she never says anything terrible to Catra either. Even when Catra tries to be mean to her. It's true. Catra puts her down. She, she's always nice to her. She's always nice to everyone around her. And I don't yeah. think it's aloofness. I think genuinely we want to be better than people have been to us. Mm-hmm. So. Especially if you want to break the cycle of right. abuse and trauma. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's definitely what Entrapped is doing. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and she shows it to uh, Scorpio, who also, in you know, they bond and they both, you know, they're basically telling each other, like, hey, you're cool. You're great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a beautiful friendship. I love them so much. Like, I could also go on about, like, Scorpio. Like, I love them. I love them so much. I also feel like the odd one out and the you know the one who's not gotten by everyone else but they're just trying so hard they have their Mm -hmm. own traumas but they're not as visible as everyone else's Mm -hmm. but they get each other yeah Yeah, they get each other so and i think that's wonderful and so sweet would she have met her if she wasn't on the fright you know i don't think so it's true and would Scorpia have come to the rebellion in the end if it wasn't for entrapta exactly and who knows she kind of also says you know, I think you should deserve to be treated better. And, you know, I think that gives her perspective. And she sees the way Catra also treats Emily and she treated how she treated Entrapped at the end, even with all her help. And I think that mm-hmm. sets off the events of, you know, being like, wow, she really doesn't care about anyone right now, does she? I need right. to be for my own protection. Like, right. I need to self-preserve right now. Right. 
that can be hard for all around. Mm-hmm. Even as someone with not just autism, but mental health issues, it can be hard. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Mishy, for talking to us. Oh, thank you, Mishy. Thank you for having me. Of course. Absolutely. Thank you.